You are listening to the official podcast of Journey of Life Church in Orlando, Florida. Visit us on the internet at journeyoflife.org. Two things I want to do. This is, you know, this is it. What do I say to you? How do I send you out as a pastor? What would I want to plant in you to take with you today? Well, the first thing I actually want to do is I want to take a moment. We've been doing it. We uh, Journey of Life started in about uh, late 2003, early 2004. I'm sorry. What's that? That wasn't me. Was that any of you? Did you hear that? Yes. Okay. okay. Oh, <laughs> I, I know exactly what it was now. Yes. All right. Well. We are having the full-on typical journey of life service today. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> that's all right. I think today, one of the things that's important to do is to recognize that this is a transitional day. We don't want to just get together, have a church, and then we're done and not acknowledge the transition because there is a sense of loss for some of us. And for those of you who've kind of already moved on and moved through this, I'm going to have to beg your indulgence for a moment because we want to... We want to acknowledge the sadness and the grief, uh, the disappointment that go with uh, ending a church that's been uh, going for 13 years, 13 great years. Lots of people ministered to, lots of great things have happened, but and, and now we're all going to move on to new great things happening. So I want to acknowledge the disappointment. You're going to have all sorts of feelings. I have had all sorts of feelings. Woo, have I had all sorts of feelings. So I'm just going to bring up for you Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Five Stages of Grief. <laughs> These are all things you're going to feel. These, and and this, is, this is like important for your whole life to know that this is what happens. Whenever there's change, there's loss. Okay? Whenever there's change, there's loss. And whenever there's loss, there's grief. And whenever there's grief, you're going to have all these things in different ways and different dimensions at different times. You're going to have a sense of denial. I know many of us thought this can't be happening. This can't be happening. That's called denial. Uh, some people are kind of angry about what's going on. I've heard that. Uh, there's a sense of bargaining. What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? There's kind of depression, and the weather has not been helping that. <laughs> and, then, and then there's acceptance. And, and I, I, I heard an interview with Dr. Kubler-Ross, the originator in this sort of structure, and she was just kind of appalled that everybody had numbered them and made them gateways they had to pass through, and they stood around at cocktail parties with their martini going, I think I'm in stage three right now. I'm hoping to be in stage four by next Tuesday. It doesn't work like that. You're, it, it's like a ball bouncing around inside you. You're going to go through all these different things with any change, including this one. And what I want to do by bringing this up is just to normalize it. There's, there's nothing wrong with, with you know, um, it's not a lack of faith that makes you sad if, if you're sad about journey of life ending. It's not, it's, not a, a, not, it's not that you're not trusting God that makes you sort of depressed or makes you try and bargain with God or whatever in this or any other loss. It's just what happens in our heads and in our emotions. So I really, uh, th to begin with, I just want to normalize the idea of our, our sense of loss and all the kind of things that always go with it. And this is the challenge of the life of faith. The challenge of the life of faith is to be able to look at the loss that you're experiencing 
and accept the pain. Don't deny the pain. Don't run from it. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. But know that it's not forever, and it doesn't mean that God has left anybody alone. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, right? For God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. And in fact, Jesus tells us that pain and loss are a matter of perspective. Now, Jesus does something very un-PC here because he's a man, and he's going to use childbirth as an example. But since it's in the Bible, I can put it up and blame Jesus instead of me. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But, and you ladies can tell me if this is right or wrong, when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Is that <laughs> I'm, hearing, I'm hearing some laughter out there. Uh, no, that's not quite right, Pastor. <laughs> she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. And I, you know, I'm, I don't, obviously you don't forget the pain, but certainly once you hold the baby, the nature of the pain changes because now you have the object of what you've been going through, right? And so our faith looks to verses like this and says, yes, uh, we are going to go through some tough stuff, but it's all a matter of perspective. And if you can, if you can, if you can, if you can look at everything with the eyes of faith, it's going to change the way you experience things. If you can somehow bounce your vision off eternity and the presence of God and look at everything from that perspective, it's going to change the way you experience difficult times. The psalmist uh, said it this way. He said, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth, that's the mourning clothing, right? And clothed me with gladness. And so... It, our, our sense of loss is real, but it's also kind of a matter of perspective. Let me just say, um, what if, for instance, instead of the future being unknown in May of 2005, we had received a contract from God that said, what I want you to do is to be available to love people in Lake Nona for 13 years, and then your job is done. How would you be experiencing today if that was the case, instead of us just going into this unknown church plant. Today would be the biggest party ever, right? Because we had fulfilled our obligation. We had, we had done the thing we set out to do if God had given us that kind of contract. But you know God doesn't work that way. We never know what the future holds. We only know who holds the future. So here we are, and the idea for us is to reflect and learn but not to presume to know the will of God. And that's true in every time you go through transitions in life. Reflect and learn, but don't presume to know the will of God. Presume to know the heart of God, because that's love for you and all the world, but don't presume to know the will of God. So our expectations of what Journey of Life is and was and would have been is really, a, it's a choice. We, we get to decide how we're going to look at that. And I suggest to you today that you choose the eyes of faith. That you look at Journey of Life with the eyes of faith. And see yourself as in the middle of a story. And, and we've talked about this before, and I always you know, bring up like Lord of the Rings. My favorite examples are Lord of the Rings and microwaves, right? <laughs> I'll bring those up. But today I'm not going to do that. What I want to do is think about biblical heroes. Think about people in the middle of their journey 
And it's these journeys that God is taking them on to get them to a place. Think about Abraham. When God called Abraham, he said, uh, I want you to pack up and go and I'll tell you where to stop. Did, did Abraham have like a big sense of security there? No. All he, all he knew was that God had a plan for him. God, had a, God was working in and through his life, and so he had to obey. Joseph. Joseph is like the, 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 the shining story of the Bible about God is working where you think he's not. You remember the story of Joseph, right? He was the favorite brother of all these brothers because he was the firstborn son of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. And so he had the coat of many colors, which meant that his father liked him best, that he was going to be in charge, and his brothers hated him. And one day, his dad, parent of the year, sends the little brother to go check up on all his older brothers. How does that work out, parents? Sending the, the younger sibling to check up on the older ones. Great. So they decide they're going to kill him, and they, you know, Reuben says, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in a well. That way we haven't actually killed him. Sure, Reuben. Um, but his plan was to go back and get him later. But then a slave trade van came along and they sold Joseph into slavery. And he, he, they took him to Egypt and he ended up in a slave in a guy's name. The house, his name is Potiphar. He's, the, um, he's an official in Pharaoh's house. And Joseph rises through the ranks. Wow, that sounds like God's working, doesn't it? He rises through the ranks. He ends up being in charge of Potiphar's house altogether. That sounds like God at work, right? And then Potiphar's wife accuses him of raping her. And Joseph gets thrown in prison. Does that sound like God at work? No, that doesn't sound like God at work. But is it God at work? Yes, it is. Because those of you who remember the story know what happened next, right? Uh, Joseph uh, interpreted some dreams for a couple other people, and then they, the, those dreams came true, but the guy forgot about Joseph. But then Pharaoh had a dream, and he remembered that Joseph could, the servant remembered that Joseph could interpret dreams. So the servant said to Pharaoh, I know a guy in prison who can interpret dreams, and Joseph came out, and then he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and ended up prime minister of Egypt. So where was God working, and where was God not working? Was God working when Jacob got father of the year by sending the younger sibling out after his older ones? Was God working when Joseph got thrown in a pit? Was God working when Joseph was sold into slavery? Was God working when, when Joseph, as a faithful servant of Yahweh, rose to be in charge of all of Potiphar's house? Was God working when Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of raping her? Was God working when Pharaoh had a dream and called Joseph out of prison and then made him prime minister? So which of those places was God working? Which one? All of them, yes, thank you very much. See, you knew this. You should be preaching to me today. And that's the eyes of faith. That's how to look at today. Of course we want to reflect and learn, especially me as a leader. But what we have to assume, that's what faith is. Assuming we know that God is working even if what's going on right now is sad and we don't see how it's part of his plan. So, here we are on this journey today. And if you go through the life of Moses and David and Jesus himself, you see exactly the same thing. Sometimes it's the sort of things we associate with God working, and sometimes it's the things we don't associate with God working, like being crucified. But then it turns out that God is always working. God is always working. So when you leave here today, that's the first thing I want to leave you with. God is always working. And that's the eyes of faith. That's the choice of faith. 
when you walk out of here, what are you going to feel if you like set, if you if you if you assume that God is always working? How's that going to change the way you feel when you walk out of here today? Change the way I feel for sure. So we're on this journey. We're on this journey, and we're about to turn this corner. And um, I'm, I'm so glad that you've all come to turn this corner with us today. So I, there's, I had to think about the other things I might want to say. What do I want to leave you with as we turn this corner? So a long time ago, there was a rabbi. And he had gone to visit uh, uh, another rabbi. And they had had a deep, deep discussion about life, the universe, and everything. They, they, he had, his head was swirling with thoughts of what is life about and meaning and purpose and identity. And he was walking along the road and he's thinking and he's lost in thought and he must be my brother because he was lost in thought and he took a wrong turn on the way home. And instead of, instead of uh, heading on the path toward his home, he headed on another path for a little while and he didn't realize that he was still thinking and suddenly he heard a voice yell, Halt! And he looked up and he had stumbled upon a Roman a camp of Roman guards. And the man said, Who are you and what are you doing here? And the rabbi said, Excuse me? And the man said, Who are you and what are you doing here? The rabbi thought for a moment. And he said, How much do they pay you to stand here and ask that? And he said, Two denarii. And he said, I will double that if you'll come to my house and ask me that every morning. <laughs> Who are you and what are you doing here? And if I can send you away with anything, it's sending you away with who are you and what are you doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? I can think of no better example of this question of who are you than uh, who are you? Who am I and what am I doing here? This fine fellow right here. You guys remember Buzz Lightyear? For those of you who don't, okay, how many of you know the story of Toy Story? Just so I, okay, all right, so I don't, I don't, I don't have to spend too much time summarizing it. Excellent. You, you should see it, because it's one of the few movies they ever get 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. But, um, so you remember the story. Buzz Lightyear comes into Andy's room, but Buzz Lightyear doesn't know who he is, right? He doesn't know who he is. He thinks he's a space ranger, and he doesn't realize he's a toy. And the story, go, the, the story goes on, and he encounters a few things that reinforce his false belief. Buzz Lightyear, like the rest of us, is subject to confirmation bias. He has a false belief, and a few random things happen that reinforce his belief that he is, in fact, a space ranger. But... Sooner or later, he ends up at Sid's house, right? And Sid is not a nice boy. And Sid turns him into a doll having coffee and takes off one of his arms. And, and, and Buzz Lightyear at Sid's house, when things go bad, is confronted with the fact that he is not, in fact, a space ranger. And it turns out he's a toy. And for a little bit, that makes him sad. But then suddenly, he's not just a toy. He's Andy's toy. All of a sudden, Buzz Lightyear's life has gone from, I am a space ranger, to I am loved by Andy. This boy has put his name on me. 
And I don't know whether the people who wrote this knew what they were doing or what, but what I see in there is the story of Adam and Eve. I see, Adam, I see the story from Adam and Eve to Jesus to now. Adam and Eve thought they were all that, right? God put them in the Garden of Eden and gave them a couple of just simple little instructions. Just don't eat that one tree. Listen, he said, seriously, you are not equipped for the knowledge of good and evil. That's not what it made you for. I, don't, I didn't want you to know evil. Can you imagine that? Not knowing evil? Would that be amazing? That would be amazing. So he put Adam and Eve in the, tree, in the, in the garden and said, just, just don't, don't eat this one tree because I don't want you to know about evil. And Adam and Eve thought they didn't need God. They thought they were all God. They thought they were their own kind of space ranger. And they decided they were going to make their own decisions. And, of course, humanity fell into sin. And here we are. And then we have Jesus. And in Jesus, we are told that all this, that, that uh, God has come to show us who we really are. Which is sort of a knockdown, because most of us want to be the God of our own life. But the only way to find the joy that God has in store for you is to kind of accept the knockdown, which is then the lift up to be God's child. And that's who you are. That's who you really are. That's what the Bible says. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might, what? Receive adoption as sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. We might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And that is who you are now in Christ. You are a son and daughter of the king. Your thinking is going to drift back to Buzz Lightyear, to being your own God. And that's part of the reason for going to church every Sunday, is to be reminded that you are not the God of your own life, but you are a son and daughter of the king. Because this is where the joy comes from. This is where, this is where shalom returns. We were created for shalom, which is harmony which is peace, which is everything in order and all is right with the world. And humanity messed that up. And Jesus came to call us back into that order to, to remind us that we are God's children and to demonstrate for us that all our sin is forgiven. We are like, we are God's sons and daughters in Christ. So that gives us some things. That gives us some things to take with us. If we remember who we are, it gives us some things to take with us. Okay. The first thing it gives, and I'm going to run through these quickly, but I'm going to send them out with the, with the, uh, with the email. And if you don't get the email, just give me your address. I'll make sure you get it. So the, he can, there's five things God gives. One is he gives us power to live on. Uh, the psalmist writes in uh, Psalm 138, verse 3, In the day when I cried out to you, you answered me and made me bold with strength for my soul. The world is going to try to tell you who you are, and it's not going to be good. It's, it's, it's not going to be... It's not going to be... It's not going to be... It's not going to be right. They're either going to fluff you up so they can use you, or they're going to put you down so they can use you or something. The world doesn't, does not have your best interests at heart. But God does. And when 
when God tells us that we are his children, there's power in that. Because when someone else tries to treat you as something other than valuable and wonderful and beautiful and worthy of love and respect, you, in your soul, can say, no, I am God's child. That's power. God gives us power to live on in the face of all the world throws at us. God gives us people to live with. Right here, right now. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Let's not give up meeting together. Some of us are going to have to find different places to meet together, but the body of Christ is one throughout the world. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage each other. Encourage each other daily. God gives you, when you recognize that you are a son or daughter of God, you are adopted into his family, you're that person. That makes you brothers and sisters with everybody else. And God gives you that for your life. Power to live on, people to live with, principles to live by. Everybody is everybody's going to find their way of living from somebody. You're going to read books. You're going to take it from your parents. You're going to take it from your friends. You're going to hopefully not take it from the internet. But everybody looks for principles to live by. Nobody does it all on their own. We're all influenced by others. And so when you acknowledge and embrace that you are God's child, you, you are uh, the receiver of the principles of God for your life, which, and he's the creator. Romans 15, verse 4. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So now you know where to turn. What should I do here? What should I do there? How should I look at this situation? How should I respond to this person? What should be my reaction to this thing that's happening in my life? Principles to live by, and God gives you those because he calls you his child and gives you his scriptures. He gives you a profession to live out. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. In fact, God has arranged all the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So you have, you have things to do. There's no such thing as a person who has no, play, no, no purpose in the kingdom of God. You have a purpose. I don't know what it is. You have to figure that out. I'll help you if you want. But you have a purpose. If you ever feel like you don't have a purpose, you need to read this verse again and say, oh, wait, no, I have a purpose. I'm not sure what it is right now, but I have a purpose. I'm here as part of the body of Christ. So there's two things in there just to remember. One is that I always have a purpose. And the other thing is that somebody else's purpose is different than yours. You know, some people are extroverted and some people are introverted. Some people are more thought-oriented. Some people are more action-oriented. Everybody's different, and that's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. Paul even talks about that. He says, what if the whole body were an eye? What would that would look like a science fiction movie? (laughs) The body needs all the different parts. And two part, then the two pieces of that are, one, is you need to recognize that you are a part and you are necessary, even if you feel like you're more the liver than the right hand. And the second is to not try to make other people have your gifts either. Because they have a different thing going on. They have a different set of gifts and talents and abilities to bring into this body we call the body of Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture of acceptance? Of everybody, I just think that's so 
wonderful. Power, people, principles, profession, and a purpose. Ephesians 2, verse 7. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, created for good works. I brought, you don't know this, but I brought a picture of you. I brought a picture of you, and I'm going to put it up here right now. Don't get worried. <laughs> this is a picture of you. That Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that you are God's gift to the world. You are God's gift to the world. When you walk out of here today, and you're thinking about, who am I, and what am I doing here? I am God's child, and God has created me to be a gift to the world. How can you be a gift to the world today? If so, if, so, if, if you feel like, feel like someone's putting you down, or like maybe you don't matter that much, this is what you need to see. You need to see, yes, as a matter of fact, I am God's gift to the world. Because you are. Everybody in here is a gift to the world. Everybody in here is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. You are a gift. You're a gift to the, the checker at the, at the grocery store. You're a gift to your family. You're a gift to your friends. You're a gift to the person who runs into you by accident on the street. And you get out and you are kind to them instead of exploding in their face. When you walk out of here today, you should have two sets of eyes. Set of eyes that look in the mirror and say, I am God's child. And whatever anybody else says about me is second to what God has said about me. And he has put his name on me and called me his own son and called me his own daughter. That's what you should think about for yourself when you walk out of here today. And the other thing, other set of eyes you should have when you walk out of here today is how can I be a gift today? Keep your eyes open for opportunities to be a gift to other people. Opportunities to bring love and acceptance and joy and peace and life and fellowship and friendship into other people's lives. You are God's child and you are a gift to the world. And if you remember that today, then I will have done my job. Will you pray? Father in heaven, we are here today and we are thankful. Thankful for the 13 plus years that you have put us here to bring your love and acceptance and life and peace into the lives of people in this area. Whether they've joined our church or happened by once or twice. Lord, I know so many stories of people who have been touched by our church, and we want to thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the privilege of being your ambassadors into the world to tell other people that they too are God's child, and they are a gift to the world. I want to pray for everybody here today that as they walk out of this building, their sense of self would be full and complete, up to the brim with love and acceptance and peace because you have done that all for us. You've sent your son to 
live, die, and rise again to show us that you love us beyond a shadow of a doubt and that we are your dear children and that that's where our identity and our sense of purpose comes from, our sense of meaning and our, our own sense of self. And also give us eyes that don't just go blindly through life, that don't just wander around, but are open, open to how you have prepared good works for us beforehand that we can walk in them. Father, help us remember that we are your child and we are a gift to this world. In Jesus' name.